It's almost Christmas time. And gifts, I love gifts. And today we start our Christmas series message on gifts from the Father. We're going to talk about the robe, the ring, and the sandals. Gifts from the Father. So turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. And then put a finger over in Revelations chapter 3. Luke chapter 15. A few weeks ago I preached a series on fulfilling the dream where we actually exposed the lie that God doesn't care about your wants but only about your needs. And if you haven't listened to that, if you aren't here for that series, go back and re-listen to it. It's on podcast. It's on the website. You can even get those old round flat things. I think they're called CDs for free. They're back there if you still have a CD player. Um, but that lie that God doesn't care about what we want is a huge one. That he only wants to meet your needs. That's more like a... Um, a director of an orphanage, I used that illustration before, that he only gives you three meals and a cot to lay on. It's not your heavenly father. Actually, we looked at um, Luke, no, sorry, Matthew chapter 7, where it says, if you then, Jesus said this, Matthew 7, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask. And that's what we focused on a lot. That you have not because you ask not. Or you think well I can't ask. How dare I ask for something. But uh, Amy gave a testimony at the staff meeting. Which we all laughed about and just loved. You know that. Um, you know and over and over again. Uh, what was it Jessica with the, the boots. Last week or the week before last. That you know you have not because you ask not. And you're like well what if I ask selfishly. Well God's a. Good father, he'll sort that out. You as a mother or a father wouldn't give something to your children that you don't want them to have, would you? No, of course not. So you can't trust God as your heavenly father to sort those things out? Just ask him and trust him to sort those things out. And by the way, her testimony was the, uh, she was asking for a nice big couch for her kids for downstairs. And it's okay, Lord, if you just want to, you know, send me something, you know, that's just decent and, or, you know, and, you know, just reduce price or whatever. And uh, I know I'm slaughtering your testimony. You should have told it yourself. And I'll leave you hanging. You'll just have to ask her there. But God's above and beyond God. God's a much more God. And we have not because we ask not. But God is our heavenly father. He delights in giving good gifts to his children. How we handle those gifts, what we do with those gifts, even if we would even receive those gifts, that's our choice and our responsibility. It's our choice and our responsibility once we have that gift. So in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable, a story. Um, some versions call it the lost son. Some of them call him the prodigal son. And I'd like to read just part of this. It says, Jesus continued, beginning with verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. 
The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between the two of his sons. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 22. Quick, he said, remember? Quick, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. And that's where I want to focus on this first gift from the father, the robe. And having the best robe placed on him, the father was telling the prodigal, as well as all observers, that his position as son was being restored. It was an immediate demonstration of his complete approval, his love, his mercy, and his forgiveness. He was not a slave. He was not a disgraced runaway. He is his son come home. The robe signifying a covering, a sign of position, declaring who you are or whose you are. The blind man on the street was assigned a beggar's robe to signify his legal right to beg. The priest was given a robe that marked him as one called, set apart, and dedicated to God for his service. These days, our robes look more like a, a jacket or, or a name tag. But this invisible robe you carry can still be seen in your countenance. The expressions on your face, the things you say, the things you do. In the story of the prodigal, one day it says, after demanding his father give him what he couldn't wait for any longer, took off his father's robe and went out looking for his own. Only to realize that his pursuit for significance can only be found in his father's house. The best robe given to the son 
from the Father is this gift of salvation, restoration, the righteousness that covers him and all his sin. In Zechariah chapter 3, he sees a vision of Joshua dressed and standing before the Lord in filthy rags. And the angel of the Lord saying out, take off those filthy rags. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I now cover you with the rich garments. And Isaiah 61, oh, I could read all of verse 1 all the way through 10, where it talks about the garment of praise and how he takes away the dirty and he gives us the new and the fresh and restored. And in verse 10 it says, I delight greatly in the Lord, Isaiah says. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed, listen, arrayed like in the, uh, it's talking about arrayed means like the splendor of the universe. He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As in all the greatness, you ever look at those pictures uh, of that um, uh, one satellite, the Hubble satellite that takes those pictures and it's like, oh, I just love it. I look at all those and, you know, you can see you know, angels, you can see, you know, these riders on these huge horses, you know, I see it all in there. But that's the, the, all the splendor, the wonder is all in that word arrayed, which we are arrayed in his righteousness. The all, the wonder, the magnificent, you know, display is how we're robed, how we're clothed. That's the garment. That's the robe that he puts on us. Many Christians, though, and this I had to write in here. I kept trying to take it out because I don't like the oh, woes. But I think we need some woes once in a while. You know, it's kind of like wake up, come to your senses time. Many Christians believe that they are carrying the father's robe, but they're living like orphans in his house. I told you a story a couple years ago. I had come back from, um, I don't remember if it was district council or, or somewhere, and pastors gathered, and this pastor shared a um, story, a true story of this couple that he knew that waited so many years to finally be able to have kids, and they finally came to the conclusion they weren't going to be able to bear any themselves, so um, they went out and began to adopt. Um, Long story short, this young boy, I, I think he was like five or six years old, they finally, the adoption went through, they brought him into house, they had a nice big house, they put in this nice big room for him, you know, they just did everything for him, had everything he ever needed. And only at five or six years old, he had already taken on the orphan mentality. And that he he had to fight for what he needed, his basic needs. He had to take care of himself. He couldn't rely on anybody else because his parents abandoned him. And, um, you know, orphanage after orphanage would just throw a couple, you know, meals at him a day and a little cot. And there you go. You want anything? Go fight for it. And when they brought him into the house, they were showing him everything. And here's, you know the kitchen and here's all the food and there's the cupboards and there's your bed and here's everything and everything you need. It's all here. And within that um, 
first day or, or two days, I don't remember exactly what the story was, um, they woke up to find a horrific scene in their kitchen where that boy had actually, I'm looking around, uh, um, I'll just say fought the dogs for the dog food, the dish of dog food that was in the kitchen right next to the pantry full of food. See, all he knew was that he had to fend for himself. And what he could see, he needed to fight to get. And so he fought these dogs and won to get that food, dog food. And too many Christians nowadays that are displayed, arrayed in God's righteousness, that have this robe you know, of salvation, that have the inheritance, the co-heirs of Christ, you know, everything that we need. He's our heavenly father. He has and wants to give to us. But we walk around with this orphan mentality that we have to hurry up and get and keep. And it's mine, mine, mine. And, you know, I have to fight for this and I have to fight for that. And we're living like orphans in the father's house. God warns us that you will destroy each other when there's bickering, complaining, and selfishness among you. This is an orphan heart looking out for only your own interest, your feelings, your pain, your money, your gifts. We are called to be brothers and sisters, to love, to care for, to exalt one another. To not look after our interests, but the interest of others. This is why uh, it should be big warning lights go off, like hitting a panic button when you find that you're getting easily offended. When you hear the words out of your mouth is more complaining than they are encouraging, uplifting, exhorting. They should be warning, warning. Warning, warning, warning. You know, can't you just hear it? Warning, warning. You're moving over here into the selfishness, the orphan mentality. Worrying about yourself. Well, why isn't somebody doing this? Why isn't somebody doing that? Again, God is not a caretaker of an orphanage. Only supplying those three meals a day and a cot to sleep on. Just taking care of your needs. He's our heavenly father who has adopted sons and daughters to carry his light out into the dark world to display his goodness, display his splendor. Why? Because we're arrayed in all that. We carry his robe, bearing his name. That when we step out, we either uh, help to exalt his name or we defame him we cast uh dis anyway i'm not even going to go there i'll keep going through but he's he's given us that responsibility of showing him off to the world says that they'll know that i love them god says they'll know that i love them by the love you have for one another well, how do we do that by the things he's given us because you can't just say you love somebody. 
I've said that before. It's in a, in a marriage. Tell me you know one person who's married and never bought anything for their spouse ever. Or made something, given something, taken care of them. I mean, it's like you have a baby laying there and for the next, I don't know how many, it's not even weeks, it would just be days. If you just stood over that baby and squeezed them and hugged them and told them you loved them the whole time but never fed them, changed their diaper, or gave them a warm place to you know, live or sleep, how long would that baby exist? You can't say you love somebody and mean it, and it mean anything. It has to have tangible expressions. It has to be felt. Love has to be felt, not just in here, but tangibly felt. You tell me you love me, but you won't take care of me. You tell me you love me, but I'm hungry and you won't feed me. You tell me you love me, but you, come on, fill in the blank. The prodigal came to his senses. The church needs to come to her senses. We as Christians need to come to our senses. It's not enough to just be sorry for your sins when you make a mistake. Not even enough to just ask heaven to forgive you. Think about that one. He came to his senses because he figured out. Wow, I've sinned against my father. I've sinned against heaven. I need to get up and go back. Repent, confess. He had to go to the father. He had to repent. He had to do faith and deeds, faith and deeds. They have to go together. You can't just say you love somebody and not show it, not prove it. And I want to read Revelations chapter 3. Because this is huge right now. People keep saying, oh, God knows my heart. Oh, God knows my heart. As if that's going to be enough. It's not just about what you believe. It's just not about what you even confess or what you think. If that's all it is, it's all about you. It, that's a very selfish religion. If it's just, well, God knows my heart. Well, he knows what I think. And I just read and, you know, I have this relationship, me and God. That's selfish. And in Revelations chapter 3, starting at verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Come to your senses. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and what you have heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, if you do not come to your senses, I will come in like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. 
Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's not just about the heart. It says it right here. The context of that scripture is your deeds. How can your name be blotted out from the book of life? Your deeds are found incomplete, it says, in my sight. Faith and deeds, faith and deeds. James 2, look it up, study it, faith and deeds. Don't just tell me you have faith if you don't have actions that prove it. That faith is useless, it said, it's dead. Means nothing. John 14, Jesus even said, you, know, you can't say you love me if you don't do what I command. There's those deeds again. See, they have to go hand in hand. I mean, think about it. When you lay it out in the whole context of the Bible, over and over and over again, he's saying the same thing. Love God, love others. All the commands, all the requirements of the law are summed up in those two. Love God, love others. Not in just the one, but in both. You have to have both. They have to come together. Don't tell me Jesus says you love me if you don't do what I say. The church in Sardis, boy, they had a reputation for being alive. But their deeds were found incomplete. God's robe of righteousness that he places upon us carries that responsibility of being a son. To correctly handle what he's given you. To love for and to care for others. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we now ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but does nothing for him, says right here, how can the love of God even be in you? Wow. That's the responsibility we carry. See, we love to fling open our arms and, you know, fall at the feet of Jesus and receive his love and receive his love. But with that is that gift that now carries a responsibility to give out that love. See, that robe of salvation, that robe of righteousness isn't just for you to stand in front of the mirror going, ah, oh, I look so good, I look good. It's to go out, to carry his glory, his love. And he says, if you own, I like it, how he says, if you own any material possessions. That means anything. That could be the widow's two pennies, material possessions. Actually, it could just be the clothes on your back because it says if you see somebody and give them even the coat off your back, right? Y'all sitting here not naked. 
So you all have something. Stop waiting for you to have something you don't have. You have something. Now be good stewards of it. Because like we've said a thousand times before, why would he give you more if you're not being faithful with what he's already given you? If you're not a good steward with that, if you're selfishly hanging on because it's just me, 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 fending for me, taking care of me, my family, our time, our money, our interests, how can the love of Father be in you when there's so many others sitting around you? Now, again, just like we talked about Oh, we talked about on Thursday night that that uh, plumb bob of the standard love, the whole law hangs on that. People can now get pulled clear over here. Well, I'm a selfish worm and oh, I'm horrible and I can't enjoy anything if somebody else is in need. Come back here to the middle. That's not what the word says at all. He's a good heavenly father who wants to give good gifts to his children who ask. So are you a selfish, horrible person and no good for nothing if you want something? If somebody else is in need? No. Use what you have and help meet their need. Why? In the love of God. So they'll know he loves them because of your love for each other. Now, if you just go and see somebody in need and hand them some money and say, go ahead and thank me. I'm a good person and walk away. Well, good for you. You're not sharing God's love. So be careful that when you do meet somebody's needs that you don't get all puffed up and look at me. Look what I'm doing here. My big sacrifices like that clanging of that. Remember, I told you in the temple, they had these great big offering. I don't know, containers where it made noise depending on how much you dropped in. So if you only dropped in a couple pennies, ding, they couldn't hear it. But if you dropped in a few coins and a ding, 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 it was like a big trumpet. Dun, da, da, da. Don't go tooting your own horn when you do something for somebody else. Do it in the love of Christ. Here, God loves you. Oh, well, I can't take that. No, you're not taking it from me. I'm only a steward. He's the one that owns everything. Right? The prodigal's cry of repentance must be our cry to receive this gift. Because if he would have stayed there in the pig's field, see how he was reciting? Oh, man, I'm coming to my senses. What am I doing, you know? It was a lot better back in my father's house, which really isn't it always. Right, Jacob? Not what we was talking about last night. <laughs> Everything's taken care of, right? He owns it all. Why go out searching for your own significance when he's got your robe right here? But we must cry out for Cry out for salvation, righteousness. If we've been walking too long in his house with that orphan mentality, just taking care of ourselves. Cry out for and then pick up that robe. 
when he places it on you. Stand up with that robe arrayed in his righteousness and take the responsibility for loving others. What goes with that? Because again, you're bearing his robe. You're bearing his name. Go and do. Don't leave your deeds unfinished. So I want to open up the altars. So if you'd stand with me. I want to. I want us to focus on these two things. Repent and go. Repent and do. Repent and go. If your heart has been one like the, the prodigal and the, the lost son in the story that Jesus told, where you've been out searching for your own significance, whether um, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ or, or not, well, if you don't, this is it. And this is the time you need to come home. But maybe you've been right under the, the house. Maybe you've been right in the house. Maybe you've been a Christian 50 years. But you've been living like that orphan. It's time to come home. It's time to repent. Confess and change the way you're thinking. Confess, change the way you're thinking. And the second part of that is doing. You need to take responsibility for the robe you wear. For the name you bear. Love God. Love others. Faith and deeds. With every head bowed. Eyes closed. I really believe like the Holy Spirit is just moving on some right now. That you can almost hear him just calling your name. Just wooing you back. I don't know another way to say that. Just trying to draw you back home. Come on, your heart's been wandering. Come on, you, you've been wandering. Come on, you, you've been living that, that orphan in my house. And he wants to remove those filthy rags, those filthy garments. And he wants to place back on you his robe of salvation, that robe of righteousness. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you. It's time you need that robe. Yes, yes, yes. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. The other part is if you heard that, that scripture in Revelation 3, the warning to the church in Sardis, that that struck your heart and you're like, oh, that's me. 
I've been focused so much on faith, so much on my love relationship with God that I've been lacking. Let's call it that way. My deeds are found incomplete. And I need to take responsibility and really start putting actions to my loving others. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. just still ourselves before you our hearts before you laid open, laid bare God you know us from the inside out Holy Spirit you're so gracious you're so merciful you're so loving that you don't point a condemning finger at us but you draw us into his presence and your heart oh God is to, is to strip away those filthy rags and to place that robe of salvation that robe of your righteousness Jesus upon us that would cover all sin that would restore us to that son and to that daughter that we are. I just move, move as you will, personally, each one of our lives right now. And our heart and our mind speak to us, speak to us, speak to us. Speak to us.